All right, good morning, everyone. I want to ask you to uh, find a seat and we'll get ready to en enter into our season of worship this morning. So, all right, so if it is your uh, first time visiting at the chapel, we want to uh, welcome you and uh, thank you for coming to be with us uh, today. We have a, uh, a connection desk out front that you can go to if you'd like to uh, leave any information about yourself. If you want any contact from one of the pastoral team members, uh, just make sure that you sign up at that desk and then one of us will be glad to uh, get in touch with you. So I want to show you a picture real quick up on the screen here, um, if you can see this. Not coming? All right. I'm going to show you that picture next week, okay? <laughs> that was get you to come back, all right? So, yeah, we, one of the things we do here on Wednesday nights is we have a youth ministry, and uh, that's something that really is uh, remarkably being blessed in a very beautiful way. We have a great group of kids, and uh, I think this past week I think there were 18 kids here for that. And one of the things I wanted to show you is the room in the back that they use for the youth ministry, uh, because a lot of you have never seen the inside of that room probably. And uh, so we'll, we'll bring that up next week so that you can see that and enjoy what some of the contributions that are made get applied to that kind of uh, work. And a lot of times you don't get to see that. So we wanted you to be aware of that. The other thing I did want to say is I wanted to encourage you to be in prayer for the teens in our church family. Uh, a lot of times we're, we're glad to see them, but I want to encourage you as a church family to be praying for God's hand to be resting upon their lives, to be turned towards, towards the Lord at a young age, okay? So I want to make sure we, uh, we do that as we pray together, because it's such a sensitive uh, time in their lives, and uh, we're just blessed with a really beautiful group of kids, and it's a joy to spend some time with them each week. One thing I do want to say is, if you hear that sound, don't be alarmed. We're dealing with an issue with static in the building, so when it's dry like it is right now, uh, if something gets touched, it's, it's kind of sending uh, kind of a, a shock through the system. So when we're worshiping, if that happens, just ignore it, okay? Because we warned you about it. It's just, you know, I had some medical things done this week, and before they stick that IV in your arm, they say, this is going to pinch, okay? So that's your warning that that could happen during the service, okay? It's uncomfortable, but keep singing and worshiping and honor the Lord together. So would you stand with me this morning for the reading of two verses from God's Word? And as you pray for the teens, I would ask that this would be your prayer. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Father, we come together this morning as your church, as your family. Uh, Lord, the text we'll look at next Sunday says that we are each living stones being built into a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. Father, I pray that the teens in our church family will get a grip on this truth.
And I pray that we as adults will get a grip on this truth that we are part of something that God is doing in his house. And as we come together this morning, Lord, we come to offer to you a spiritual sacrifice of praise. And as we proclaim that truth, let it be transforming to our own lives. Let it not just be words that we sing and say, but let it be truth that saturates and changes us. Fill us, Lord, this morning with the heart of gratitude, with the heart of worship. We pray your blessing over those in our church family that are going through seasons of struggle and physical difficulty. Lord, we pray that over Diana Kelly. God, just that your rich mercy and favor uh, would be resting on her and bringing healing. I pray for Bobby Berezny as he goes in for rather serious eye surgery this week, that your hand uh, would be resting on and protecting and bringing good results from that surgery. Lord, for those that are struggling emotionally, and we know every Sunday, Lord, each week we go through various struggles and difficulties. So God, for those that have come this morning carrying a burden, I pray that you would ease that burden this morning as they cling to you in song, proclaiming truth. Let it saturate into us and transform us. Let this be a season of change this morning for our hearts. Bless James as he comes later to bring your word. Bless as we celebrate the Lord's table. Let all of these things enliven us with hope and joy in Jesus Christ. Bless the team now as they lead us in singing your praises. We praise you. We glorify you. And all God's people said, amen. Let's worship him together this morning. chains and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb oh every knee will bow before him so open up the gates make way before the king of kings The God who comes to save is here to set the captives free. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb. 
slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Oh, every knee will bow before Him. Say, who can stop? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord? All sing this out to him. chains. Oh, every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Oh, every knee will bow before him. The vilest, the poor, 
our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn, our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. of kindness he lavished on us his blood was a payment his life was a cost we stood neath a debt we could never afford our sins they are many his mercy is more Our sins, they are many, His mercy is Who you are, say it again. You are 
Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are here, touching every heart. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, healing every heart. I worship you. I worship you. And you are here, turning lives around. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, mending every heart. I worship you. I worship you, Lord. And you are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. And you Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Say that again. And you are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Light in the darkness. stop working you never stop you never stop working even when i don't see it you're working even when i don't feel it you're working you never stop you never stop working you never stop you never stop working even when i don't see it you're working even when i don't feel it you're working you never stop you never stop working you never stop you never stop working even when i don't see it you're working even when i don't feel it you're working you never stop you never stop working you never stop waymaker waymaker miracle worker promise keeper light in the darkness my god that is who you are. You are way maker, me 
Thank you for that this morning. Thank you that whether on the mountaintop in the valley, no matter what may lie ahead of us, God, you are sovereign over all of it. You have a purpose for it, and it is for to it is for your glory to be displayed. God, thank you for saving hearts this morning. Thank you for each one of us who know you personally as our Lord and Savior. And God, if there's anyone here that doesn't understand you in that saving way, God, we just ask that you would please break down the chains from their hearts, Father, and just save them this morning, please, in your name. In Jesus' name, we ask that, Lord, please. Thank you for this time of worship, Father. Thank you for a singing church and for um, the blessing that this uh, ministry is to us. And uh, we just ask that as Pastor James comes, that you would just bless him richly with the uh, message that he has for us today. So we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. church and uh, for the rest of us why don't we turn in our bibles to first peter we'll get there in a moment first peter chapter one and we'll be looking at the end of chapter one and we're going to go into chapter two this day lord willing you know we are living in a pretty volatile time uh if you think about it it's a backwards time, it's a violent time uh, that we are living in. We're living in a time where godlessness and unrighteousness is growing in our society. You know, instead of uh, people worshiping God, they are worshiping something other than God, almost everything but God. And, and people proclaim to be wise, but they are pretty foolish today. We have people that are worshiping animals, worshiping the stars, worshiping trees, whatever it may be, but not worshiping God. And, and what we find is that they are, time after time, turning away from God. They're turning away from God in the lust of their hearts. They're turning away from God by using their bodies in dishonorable ways. They're turning away from God because their minds are perverted. It's interesting that as well, as you listen to people, what is true is viewed as right and what is right is viewed as false. And maybe you're experiencing some of that in your own life. Maybe you find that the things that you believe and hold to, the biblical truths that you hold to are, are picked on. Maybe you are attacked. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in your neighborhood and you find yourself under some level of attack. Maybe um, it's verbal right now, but there's times in cultures where it goes from being verbal to violent externally. 
And as you live in more of a godless society and an unrighteous society, inevitably, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are going to be reflecting something radically different than the culture that is out there. And I wonder, what would you do to encourage yourself, or what would you do to encourage somebody that is going through those challenging times, that are being challenged in their faith, being attacked for their faith? How would you encourage them? How would you give them hope? Well, Peter is writing to people that are going through a similarly volatile and violent time. Now, whether they're going through the persecution immediately right now, or it's in the forefront to come, we're not completely sure, but the world around them is changing radically and they are standing out like a sore thumb. And so what does Peter do? It's kind of like what James did. James, if you remember in his book, he began, he says, consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. What James was trying to encourage these believers that were going through times of persecution is to trust in God and be grounded in their gospel grace. Well, Peter does the same. Peter starts, and he's been trumpeting the gospel right from the very first verse. He is trying to lay a foundation. He's saying, your security is found in the triune God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and it is found in the gospel, that the gospel is what you need to bank on. That's where you need to build on. That's what you need to rely on. That's where you need to be founded in the midst of trying times. We we started right in chapter one and we looked and we said that you've been chosen eternally by God. And that if you're in Christ, you've been known entirely by God. You were infinitely loved in God. You were saved radically by God. You're being changed progressively by God. And then we talked about the fact that you are graced upon graced by God. Then we heard messages of this resurrection hope that we praise God and worship God and honor him because of his great mercy, he has caused you to be born again. It's interesting that Peter connected it not to the cross, though the cross is the pivotal point in history, he connected it to the empty tomb. And he said that empty tomb is a resurrection hope that you should be grounding yourself in, in the midst of the volatile and violent times that you live. And then we heard about this living hope and we talk, heard about inheritance, the inheritance that is waiting for you in heaven, that God's got something special. There's the now and there's the not yet, but God's got something special waiting for you in heaven. He's securing that for you in heaven. But not only is he securing that inheritance in heaven, he's securing you to get to that inheritance, which is just mind blowing. He says, I'm gonna hold you fast in the midst of the violent and volatile times that you live. I'm holding you fast to take you to that inheritance. Beautiful, he secures you. And he says, in the midst of the sufferings, he says, the sufferings are passing, but there's a purpose behind these sufferings. And he says that they're painful, but I'm gonna take you through these trials and I'm gonna prompt joy in your life. I'm gonna promote a radical change in your life. You're gonna grow in the midst of this. There is a redemptive purpose behind the suffering that you go through, the trials and the troubles that God is redeeming you and changing you through this. And we heard that the fires and the trials that you go through sanctify you and grow you. They, they separate and they sanctify and it leads to a passion for Christ. That is your ground in the gospel that you lead to a treasuring of Christ and a trusting of Christ. You love him and you believe on him and the inexpressible joy, the glorified joy that God wants to do in you and through you. 
And the prophets and the angels were looking forward and they got a little foretaste of what you were seeing and they longed for it and you have it in full. You know it in full. What a beautiful message that Peter is giving to these, these people that are going through great, great difficulties. And they talked about the fact that what are you born again to? We heard last time that you've been born again to, to be holy. You set your hope on God, one, that you were born again to be holy, two, that you were born again to be reverential and living out a fear-driven life, a life that is fearing God, reverencing God, worshiping God. So now Peter is going to take it a step further today, and he's going to speak to you about growing up in Christ He's going to say that you're, it's not just a vertical relationship where you're setting your hope on God, where you're being holy and you're fearing God, but now there's a horizontal way that you need to live in the midst of this world. It's not just vertical, it's horizontal. It's horizontal in the fact that you're growing up in God by gospel loving and gospel longing, those two principles. Gospel long, loving at the end of chapter two and gospel longing, longing in the beginning of chapter, I'm sorry, the end of chapter one, gospel loving, and the beginning of chapter two, gospel longing. So let's look at the passage here. We'll just take it to the end of chapter one and we'll work through that. So this is the word of the Lord. First Peter chapter one, verse 22. Having purified your soul by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word. It is the good news that was preached to you. Well, this is God's sufficient, eternal, authoritative, life-giving, and life-changing word. Would you pray with me? So, Father, help us to grow up. So many of us get stagnated in our faith. So many of us probably live like children, infants, and, and Father, as the times around us are becoming more volatile, as the times around us are becoming more violent, I pray that you would remind us that we have a firm foundation, a firm foundation based on the gospel, a firm foundation based on the work of your son, a firm foundation based on that empty tomb, a firm foundation in the gospel of good news. So Father, help us to be uh, lifelong learners. Help us to learn more about your son. Help us to learn more about the gospel and help us to live by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let us get started with gospel loving. Gospel loving. He begins this passage by saying, have having purified your souls by obedience to the truth 
for a sincere brotherly love. It's interesting that he begins by talking about this purified soul. In essence, what he is talking about is the fact that you are saved. You have been saved radically. And he gives three proofs of that salvation, three ways that we could see that salvation. He says, having purified your soul by obedience to the truth and sincere brotherly love. So here are the three ways. The first way is that you have a purified soul. The moment that you were saved, the moment that you were converted, the moment that you are born again, God justifies you. He declares you righteous. He he does a work of sanctification. Now, usually when you think of sanctification, it's progressive and it's lifelong and it's where you're growing to become more like Christ. But there is a part, part of sanctification where it is you're set apart as holy. At the moment of your conversion, you are set apart, you are purified. God comes in, he takes your sin upon Christ, and he has placed Christ's righteousness upon you. He looks at you as though you live the character and conduct of Christ. You are radically made pure in his eyes. You're purified, which is so mind-blowing because it's I'm not. Sin defiles me day after day, and I desperately need his cleansing. I desperately need 1 John 1, 9. If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of all my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I have that every single day, and so do you. But there's a status of which God looks at you as though you are pured, having purified. You are pure, you're set apart. But there's, there's a second element. It's not just a pure, a mark of salvation is that you have a pure status. But the second mark of your salvation is that you have an obedience to the truth. He says here, he says, for obedience to the truth. If you remember back to chapter one, verse two, he had talked about this obedience to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, for obedience to Jesus Christ, that the moment that you're saved, you have given this ability to say yes to God. Paul talked about that in Titus. You have the ability to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. God said through Ezekiel that I'm giving you a new heart and I've caused you to follow my commandments. There is something that happens within you radically that he has made you pure in his sight, but then he's given you the ability to obey the truth. Now, there's still a rebel within us. Every one of us still have that flesh that wants to say no to righteousness and yes to sin, but there's a greater part of your spirit and your life that is living in you that says, yes, God, I want you, I desire you. And a mark of salvation is not only that you have a purified soul, but you have obedience to the truth. But there's a third mark of salvation, a a way that you can know that you're saved, and it's here where he says that you have a sincere brotherly love. It's interesting, he's going to use word love twice here in this passage, and we're going to look at its two different Greek words. The first one here, sincere, why don't we start with the word sincere? Sincere means without hypocrisy. It it takes on this idea that it is true, it's real. We'll talk more about that as we get into the next chapter, but it's the fact that you're not fake in your love. It is real. It's coming from deep within you, the sincerity of this love. It's a true love. But the love that he's talking about here is a brotherly love. You know the Greek word philio or philia, it comes where we get the word Philadelphia from, and it's the city of what? 
brotherly love. There's a family type of love. And what, what Peter is getting at is this, that when you were born again to this living hope, you were born again radically by God. And now you have a vertical relationship with God, but that is also producing a relationship horizontally with the brother and sister in Christ. The person that is sitting next to you, I sat next to my wife. She is not only my wife, but more than that, she is my sister in Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we become part of a family. And what Peter's argument is that in the volatile and violent times that you go through, remind yourself of the gospel, you have a pure status. You've been given this ability to obey the truth and you should have a sincere love. All of us have a physical birth date. I was born on December the 6th, it's my physical birth date. And I will have a expiration date as well. A day that I will take my last breath unless Christ comes back. Every single one of us has a birth date and every single one of us have a death date. You all had, if you know Christ, had a spiritual birth date. Mine was at Pinebrook Bible Conference when I was 13 years old. Christ called me, the Holy Spirit called me to faith and I trusted in him for these last 40 plus years. As you, as you think about love, what God does is that he gives you a family here. You've been set free in God to love in a sincere way, not as a hypocrite, but a loving way. But then he goes into this passage and he says that I want you to see that not only have you been called to this new life, this new life where you're pure, obedience to the truth, a sincere love for one another, but then he goes into love for the brethren. And he gives five different ways that we're called to love. We'll pick out uh, these differently as we go through it. He talked about brotherly love, which was a Philadelphia love, a brotherly love, but then he talks about love. The second love there is about agape love. It's about a sacrificial love. It is the God type of love that God has shown you through Christ and that he is asking you, and not asking, he's commanding you to love others in that same way. Well, let's look at it. He talks about this sincere love, and he talks about this family love, but then he talks about this sacrificial love. The sacrificial love of what was modeled in the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came here to live a righteous life and die in our place, he did that to sacrifice himself for you. He substituted himself for you. That is the type of love that you and I are called to love one another. The sincere love without hypocrisy, this family love that is brother and sister now comes out in a sacrificial love for one another. It's a love that is not based on your emotions. It's not based on your feelings. It is based on an act of the will. You make a radical choice to say, I choose to love this person. That's why God can command you to love your enemies. That's why he can command you to pray for those who persecute you. He, Peter, is telling these people that as you're going through the violent and volatile times, pray for people and love them radically. But he's, he's saying not only love others around, but I want you to love sacrificially for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a, another way he tells you to love. He doesn't just tell you to love sincerely without hypocrisy. He doesn't just tell you to love as a family member. He doesn't just tell you to love sacrificially, but watch what he says. He wants you to love earnestly. I like this word, earnest. It's fervent. It is stretching. Now, I don't know if any of you played sports before, but I, I played a number of sports and what you do is there, there are good athletes all around. I mean, there are some people that are just good athletes. 
But then there are some that really pursue their craft. They stretch and they strain for the finish line. They stretch and they strain for that tape. They stretch out to try to catch that ball. They dive to catch that ball. What are they doing? They're stretching themselves out. And that's what Paul and Peter is getting at here. I want your type of love not just to be sincere and not just to be a family love. I want your love to be sacrificial and I want your love to strain forward. I want it to be a love that stretches out. I was thinking about that as I was, what would love that stretches out look like in our society? Stretch out to forgive that person that has hurt you. Stretch out to reach out to that person. Stretch out to let that problem, that hurt go. You know, Peter will say a little bit later in the book that love covers a multitude of sins. Maybe you and I need to look at the type of way that we're loving and is it earnest, is it fervent, is it stretching us to the limit? There were some incredible athletes that got a chance to meet one of them. The guy could have been a Hall of Famer. Guy could have been the top of almost everything. He had the physical gifts, but he didn't stretch himself all the way. Believers, I, I ask you, are you stretching and straining? Your love must be sincere. Your love must be a family love. Your love must be sacrificial. Your love must be intense and earnest. But your love must be pure. Watch what he says here. He says, a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. It's not just that you're straining forward in this love. You are earnestly loving this person, but you are moving forward with a purity of heart. When you think of purity of heart, God has already said that I have given you a status of purity in your salvation. You are sanctified, but now I want you to act out that purity in how you represent the family, how you represent God. You start to live with a pure heart. I was wondering, how many ways could we show love to people in unpure ways, impure ways? Maybe I could say something nice to you, but I have a manipulative reason for it. Maybe I say something to you that is not true. Maybe I'll say something to your face but then go behind your back and slander you and, and have malice in my heart or my mouth for you. What ends up happening is this, that is not a real pure love. And what he's saying is that I want you to come out with a genuine love, an authentic love, a legitimate love, a love that is really true, it's believable, it's credible that it's coming from your heart and it's coming out. That's what he wants from us. Why the psalmist said, create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me that the psalmist knew that what was in his heart was going to eventually come out. That's what Jesus said. What is in your heart will eventually produce the abundance of the ways that you speak and the ways that you act. So what Peter is getting at here is this. Gospel loving is about a reality of your salvation, that you're purified in your soul, that you're obeying the truth, that you see each other as a family member. It's sincere, it is sacrificial, it is earnest, and it is pure. But then he goes to the foundation of your salvation. You know, oftentimes when I read the word um, to you, I will say that this is the word of the Lord, 
Why do I do that? Because I want you to know that this is not just human words. This is God's word to you. And then I will end it by saying four or five phrases that it is sufficient, it's eternal, it's authoritative, it's life-giving and life-changing. And the reason behind that is I, want, I need to remind myself that the word that I'm preaching from and reading from is sufficient. You don't need to add to it. It's eternal. It doesn't stop. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter whether they think that this is old news. This is good news that will never stop. It's eternal. It's authoritative. It is the ultimate authority for your life. It's life-giving. Because on that retreat, when I was 13 years old, a pastor was preaching from this book, and then all of a sudden my eyes were open, my heart was open, and it brought me life. And it's life-changing. And what, what Peter is arguing is he goes back to one of my favorite chapters in the Old Testament, Isaiah 40. And that 40, 40, he begins with comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And he ends with the fact that when you are you tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, that those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. The bookend of that chapter, right in the middle, he talks about who God is. And then he talks about the love of the word of God that God has given you. He's quoting right here from Isaiah 40. He says, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of glass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. He's talking to these people, and he's saying that you may lose your life. All of us are going to die. You may lose your life in this volatile and violent time, but I want you to know this. Trust the word of God. The word of God is what is the sure foundation. It's sufficient. It's eternal. It's authoritative. It's life-giving. And it's life-changing. What would happen if you and I grounded ourselves in our new life in Christ and grounded ourselves in his word? What would happen if that became the filter through which we saw this world and we became a lover of God, a lover of each other, and a lover of his word? He would radically change us. That's what Peter's getting at. Peter says that you're never going to have sincere love, family love, sacrificial love, earnest love, or a pure love if you do not become a student of God's word. He says, and this is the word, I'm sorry, this word is the good news that was preached to you. It got me thinking that all of this is about a believer. I'm looking out at the congregation. I don't know how many of you truly trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I don't know. I don't know how many sit here maybe week after week that have turned away from God, rejected him day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. This good news that God is promising you is only for those who have trusted in Christ, trusted in him as the Lord and Savior. And what he's saying is this, you could have a new life in Christ right now, today, if you trust in him. Let that good news so saturate your life so that he changes you from the inside out. So I guess I ask you, are you, are you born again? You know, Peter is saying that I can give you hope, but it comes from the fact that you need to be born again to that living hope. It's a, it's a life that is a hope that God wants to give you in Christ. It's an eternal life. And that as, as your bodies break down through all the frailty, all the fleeting things of this world, there is something that is eternal. It's God's word and the salvation that he wants to provide for you. And so as you allow God's word to be cross-centered, Christ-centered, word-centered, spirit-enabled, God-glorifying work in your life, he can radically change you. 
So Peter starts by saying that we need to go vertically, we need to set our hopes on God, be fearful people, be holy people, and then he goes horizontally and he says, the gospel should so radically change your life that you are loving other people, and now he goes to gospel longing. Let's look at chapter two, verses one and following. Chapter two, verses one and following, he says, so, or your version may say therefore, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So, so Peter is arguing that first you have this gospel loving, but now he goes into gospel longing. And what he does is interesting because uh, the one, uh, whoever created these chapter divisions really messed up here. Um, so there should not be a chapter division. His, his therefore is connecting back to what he previously said, that the gospel is radical because it has set your hope on God, that you are holy people, that you are fearful people vertically, horizontally, you are a loving person because you're loving others and you're loving his word, and therefore he goes to what will hinder that love for others and that longing for God, and here's the things that will hinder it. He says, put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. He gives us four principles. I'll just end with these four principles that I want you to consider. That if you're ever going to have a longing for God and a love for others, it has to hit these four principles. First, you need to lay aside and put aside all that is wrong. Lay aside what is wrong. He says here four or five words. Malice. Malice is evil. It is wickedness. It's a desire to do harm towards others. There is this ill will. It's an attitude of the heart. It's a sense of bitterness towards others that is starting inside and then it comes outside. It is this abundance of my heart. My mouth speaks. My actions speak. And the malice of my heart will be shown out. And the malice of your heart will be shown out in the way that you act towards others. He's saying that there's a level of spite that can happen in your life. So I wonder for you, I wonder if you struggle with anger. Do you struggle with bitterness? Do you find yourself just not being able to forgive somebody else? Do you find yourself so wrapped up in yourself that you can't even think about how you're attacking other people? If, if you are, that is a form of malice that could be there underneath the surface. And what Peter is saying is this, that will hinder your gospel loving and it will hinder your gospel longing. You need to lay aside that. It's like taking this jacket off. I take it off, I put it in the closet or I put it in the hamper or whatever I do. I lay it aside, I put something else on. That's what you were called to do. He says, stop all malice. But then he says the second one, deceit. Deceit means guile. It is cunning. It is dishonesty. I think what Peter is thinking back is back to his fisherman times. Now, he, he would throw out nets, and he would get in large fish, but then there was ways that you could bait a hook as well, and this is a form of it. Deceit is a baiting of a hook. What do you do with a fish? You're getting that you're tempting the fish to bite down on your bait. 
And as soon as they bite down on your bait, then you yank them out of the water. What do you do? It's all deception, right? I guess that's okay with fish, but it is not okay with brothers and sisters in Christ. And so what he's saying is that give up the beating of the hook, the lying, the manipulating, the malice of your heart, the deceit out of your mouth, and then the hypocrisy. He goes back to hypocrisy. He's countering the sincere brotherly love with the hypocrisy here. It's phoniness. It's misrepresenting. In the Roman acting, what they would do is they would put on these masks was play asking and they would put on a new mask and the mask would be a sign external sign of what they were acting out and and what peter is getting at is stop putting on mask stop being phony the word sincere i didn't talk about it before but i'll come back to it here back in that culture as well when they would create porcelain workers sculptors whatever it would be they would create their their item and sometimes there would be a crack in it and they knew if there was a crack in it, they couldn't sell it. So unscrupulous workers would do this. They would take wax and cover up the crack and then paint it over so that people that would buy it, they would sit there and say, oh, it looks good. But the only way you would actually be able to tell whether this was pure or not was to hold it up to the light and then you could see that there was wax behind it, which is interesting. That sincere love for one another is held up to the light and seeing if there's any level of hypocrisy and any level of phoniness that is here. God wants to expose that in your life and he says, I want to get rid of it. Get rid of the malice, get rid of the deceit, get rid of the hypocrisy, get rid of the envy. Envy is a displeasure at others' blessings. That when somebody gets blessed, there's something within you that goes, I can't believe that they got that. Now, envy is worse than coveting. A lot of people think envy is like coveting, but it's worse than coveting. Coveting is desiring what you do not have. That's the last of the Ten Commandments. So I want something that's not mine, that's coveting. But envy takes it a step further. This is where it gets ugly. I don't believe that you should have it. I attack you for having what you have, and I believe that I should have it. That's what will destroy gospel-loving and gospel longing. This envy, this displeasure at other people's blessings is so ugly, I get sad at your blessings, or I maybe get happy over the things that go wrong in your life. Either way, I am attacking you, and I'm saying that I should have it. And Peter is saying, you need to lay that stuff aside. You lay aside the malice, lay aside the deceit, lay aside the hypocrisy, lay aside the envy, but then lay aside the slander. And speaking evil, it's backbiting, it's disparaging, it's pretending that you care about this person but you really don't. You talk about them in an evil way underneath the surface, behind their backs, just gnawing at them. Gossip, slander, it says God hates those sins because what it does is it hinders your gospel loving and it hinders your gospel longing. I was thinking that if we took the exact opposites of every single one of those, what would happen if Peter wrote this way? So clothe yourself in all kindness and all honesty and sincerity and goodwill and bless everyone. Wow. What would this church look like? What would your relationships look like if those were the characteristics, kindness, honesty, sincerity, goodwill, and blessings to others? So I wonder how your relationship is going. I wonder how mine are going. 
So his first principle in gospel loving, uh, longing is that we need to lay aside. I should say one last thing before I get off that point. He uses the word all three times here. In my version, he used it three times. So put away all malice, one, and all deceit, two, and hypocrisy and envy, and all slander, three. And so he's saying, in essence, get rid of it all. <laughs> Done. This shouldn't be part of your life. It reminded me of Romans 13, where it talked about not even a hint should be there in your life. And similarly, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, he's, he's talking about the fact that we should be so radical in our lives that we should be getting rid of these things. We should not be holding on to them. I have this uh, book that I read years ago. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's by John Owen. Um, it's not an easy book to read. Um, and there is a small book from his larger book. He has a lot of big books, but he had a smaller book called The Mortification of Sin. It's a real small book. It was a chapter in his larger book. And I, I read that. I've kind of probably read it. I can't even tell you how many times I've read the book. There's a chapter in that book, The Mortification of Sin by John Owen, that goes this way. It says, God demands universal obedience. And when I read that chapter, when I read the title of the chapter, I was thinking, well, God demands all people in the universe to obey him. But that's not what Owen was getting at. He, it is true that God demands all of humanity to submit to him and to honor him, but that's not what Owen was getting at. What Owen was getting at is that God demands universal obedience in each of you, that all of you should be holy, all of you should be yearning to get rid of all sin. And what was amazing in that chapter was this. This is what was mind-blowing to me. He said that God may not allow you to have freedom over a particular sin because of the sin that you want to get rid of, rather than you having victory in life because you need to be seeking to, let's try to do this again. There may be a particular sin that's bothering you. God may hinder you from getting freedom in that particular sin because you're not looking to get rid of all sin. That's the issue. I may have a particular sin that bothers me and it's like, God, I really want you to deal with this particular sin and I'm holding on to other sins over here. And God says, I want you to get rid of all of it, James. And that's what he means by God demands universal obedience. Partial obedience is what? Disobedience. And so he says, lay aside, put aside all the wrong. But there's a second thing he tells us, second principle. You need to long for and crave what is best. Long for and crave what is best. He says, like a newborn infant. <laughs> crave, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into your salvation. He talks about these newborn babes, these newborn infants. And I thought initially as I was reading this that he is using this to say, you guys are little babies in Christ. You need to grow up. You know, you, you're really immature. That's not, what I, that's not what he's saying here. That is used in other parts of scripture in Hebrews. He, that theme is used. But that's not what Peter's getting at. Peter is saying, I want you to take the illustration of a baby that is longing for milk. That when that baby is longing for milk, what happens? That baby cries, right? That baby cries and says, milk, I'm hungry, and cries out. And what does mom or dad do? Feeds the baby. 
and the baby just takes in that nourishment. And it's amazing that the babies look like, you know, if you see a baby, uh, if you don't see a baby for a month, all of a sudden it's like, oh, man, they've grown so immensely. It's radical changes that happen in a baby's life because they are taking in that milk. As a baby is craving for milk, Peter is saying you need to crave for the word of God. Got me thinking about what we crave. What is it that you desire? What is it that you long for? What is it that you go after with such fervence? Is it God's word? There are some people, and I don't want to sound judgmental, but there are some people that have been here that have been saved for decades of their life and they've never read this book cover to cover, ever in their lives. You cannot grow spiritually if you do not become a student of his word. You need to let go of those sins, but then you need to long for God's word. God has given you this amazing gift. And it's the pure, unadulterated word. Don't mix it with anything else. Don't mix it with psychology. Don't mix it with sociology. Don't mix it with the world's philosophies. It is the pure, unadulterated, authoritative, sufficient, eternal, authoritative, life-giving, and life-changing word that has been given to you as a gift. Long for it. I was just saying to a friend this week, stop allowing your feelings to become the standard for judging truth. Start allowing God's truth to become the standard for judging your feelings. How many of us believe that our feelings are the value and the source of foundation of truth in our lives? And we say, well, I don't know if God really loves me because I don't feel like it. Well, God says he loves you. I don't know if God can forgive my sin. He says I can forgive any sin. It doesn't matter what you feel. It matters what God's word says. And what it comes down to is that you lay aside the wrong and then you long for, you crave for the best. Let God's word become the ultimate standard for how you treat your wife or your husband. Let it become the standard for how you love one another. When you do that, you are gospel loving and you're gospel longing. That leads to the third principle. You need to learn to grow in grace. You need to learn to grow in grace. You will not grow if you don't remind yourself that all of this is about God's grace. The gospel is about its grace. He didn't choose you because of anything special about you. He chose you sovereignly because of his grace. He not only saved you, he has blessed you and the beloved. He has given you gift after gift because of his precious son, not because of you, but because of him and his son and his spirit applying that to your life. And if you can get the gospel so saturating in your mind, I don't deserve anything, God. And if I don't deserve anything, why can't I love a brother or sister, a family member or friend, in a radically different way? Because when I allow God's grace to grow in my life, things change. Selling a friend as well this week, one of my favorite doctrines is justification. And a couple of really good books that we'll talk about justification. Romans is a book of the Bible that is just full of justification. Justification that I've been declared right in God's sight because of Christ alone. It is justified by grace through faith in Christ alone. And when you could get that, theologians called it the door, the hinge by which the door of the church opens and closes. And the reason for it is that if you can get the sense that God can forgive you and free you because of Christ alone and that God looks at you and he loves you and he accepts you and he forgives you and he treats you as though you lived Christ's life, there is freedom, there is peace. And then radically I come out and I love my wife. 
Radically, I can come out and love my kids. Radically, I can come out and love even the enemies in my life because God's gospel has so transformed me from the inside out. The one that is embittered, the one that is malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander has missed the gospel. And when you get the gospel and you lay aside those sins and you long for what is best and you learn to grow in gospel. See, the gospel is not just for 13-year-old James. The gospel is for the James today and the James every day. Jerry Bridges used to say, preach the gospel to yourself every single day. Go back to the cross. Be amazed at what God has done for you. Go look at that empty tomb and be amazed at what God has done for you. And when you do that, you will become a lover and a longer for God. Lisa, our last principle, lay aside the wrong, long and crave for the best. Learn to grow in grace. And the last principle is to lean on the goodness of God. When was the last time you tasted and saw that God was good? When was the last time you were just so blown away by the gospel? When was the last time you were driven to tears over what God has done for you? When was the last time you found yourself just, oh God, I just, I just, I want to eat your word up. It's been an hour. I can't believe it's been an hour in your word. When was the last time you felt that way? For some of us, we felt that way when we were first converted to faith. And if you remember, right after you got saved, there was this passion. I need to go to church every day. I need to be in every Bible study. And then eventually, we kind of go off course. We just need to come back today. We need to lean into the goodness of God. You need to remind yourself of the gracious goodness of God day after day after day. And when you do that, what God does is radically he makes you a gospel lover. He gives you a greater longing for the gospel. On my notes, oftentimes I will sign the note at the end. I'm looking forward to seeing what God is going to do in you and what God is going to do through you. I think that's what Peter's getting at here as well, that he is longing in the midst of the volatile and violent times. He's saying that you can't change that but you can trust in the gospel. You can trust in Christ and that God wants to do a work radically in you. I'll end with this. Jesus had said that there are some that say that they're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and they hear his words and they don't obey them. And they're ones that build their life on sand. And the winds of life come, the volatile and violent times of their life and their houses fall. But there are those that build their lives on a rock. Do you remember what the rock was? It wasn't Jesus. I, most people think it was Jesus. It was his word. If you hear these words of mine and believe them and obey them, you're like building a house on a rock. The winds and waves of this life come, they'll beat against that house, but your house will stand. This is him, I'll end with this. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. I'm so glad I learned to trust thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that thou art with me, wilt be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I 
prove him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. So go vertically. Set your hope on God. Go vertically, be holy people. Go vertically, be fearful people. But then go vertically, love others, and go vertically, long for God's word. So Father, we pray that the answer to our security is found in in Christ. It's in the gospel. It's not I, but Christ. Lord, I thank you for the marks of our salvation that, uh, that we are of a pure status and that you've given us the ability to obey and you've given us a family in Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be sincere in our love for one another. I pray that we would have a family type of love. I pray that we would have a sacrificial type of love. I pray we would have a fervent type of love. I pray that we would have a love that is pure. And one of the greatest loves, Lord, I pray that you would give us a love for your word. And I pray that we would put aside all of those things that will hinder life-giving and life-changing things. And I pray that we would be so longing for what is best, your word, your gospel. Help us to lean heavily on your goodness and transform us. Yet, Father, I know that there are probably some that are here in this room that have never trusted in Christ as their Savior. I pray today is the day that they stop longing for the things of this world. They stop finding themselves filled with malice and deceit and slander and envy. That they find themselves not filled with guilt but find themselves filled with the forgiveness and freedom that is earned for them in Christ. So I pray today would be the day that they would bend their knee to your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we come to the communion table, and um, on the very night that Jesus was betrayed, he washed the disciples' feet, he washed Judas' feet, and he modeled for us to love others. And on that very night, he took bread and he took a cup. He says, a new commandment I've given to you. Love one another just as I loved you. What an amazing thing. What God did for us in Christ is that Christ hung on a cross and he shed his blood and he hung on a cross and his body was broken for us. Now as we, and before me, I have these cups of juice and morsels of bread. Now they're not the real body of Christ. I know some places teach that Christ is being re-crucified. Christ is not being re-crucified. He was crucified once for sin, 2,000 years ago. But we celebrate what he did in this communion table. So as you take the cup, I want you to think about the cross. I want you to think about what Christ has done. Now, last thing, if you don't know Christ, let let the cup pass. But find one of the elders, one of the leaders later, and ask us about how you could be saved, how you can learn about gospel grace. But when you do take the cup, hold on to it. Um, One of the pastors will come up and pray over those for you and remind ourselves of what Christ has done for us. Let's pray. So Father, as the leaders come and they hand out these trays, Father, we recognize that this is not changing The elements don't change here, but it points us to the one that saved us, Christ. Remind us of the precious blood. Remind us of the broken body. 
Remind us of the gracious goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Fast. 
Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Reigns with him to endless life. He will hold me fast till our faith is turned to spring of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we ask, God, that you would just continue to be perfecting our hearts in your sight for your purposes <clears throat> for which you saved us. And um, God, just uh, thank you for the message that James had us for us this morning. And uh, we ask that you would help us to treasure them this week and just think on them and apply them. So uh, we thank you for this time and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat>